0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 112 of the Pilot Boys. Today, we have a college football sprint with the very own Zach Smith, Menace of Sports, weighing in on some you know, college football highlights. And uh, we continue to mourn the passing of Ohio State's playoff run. And in news and notes, you know, V and I kind of chop it up, break it down, keep it a little bit reflective today. Not really a structured deep dive, it's just more of us being us. So um tune in, tap in. We're so excited to bring this to you today.
1: Let's go. Welcome to the Pilot Boys Podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. And here are your hosts, Vishwant and Partha.
2: No games to talk about this past weekend in college football, but a lot of news um, on many different fronts, uh, including the Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony, and we're back to discuss a wide range of topics here uh, with Coach Zach Smith. I actually like this time um, when we're not talking specifically about games, and we can delve into some of these these other topics, uh, they're a little fun to talk about, and it seemed like quite a few uh, names gave us a lot to talk about this peak, This weekend. First conversation topic is after the Michigan game, um, the, the concern for Ohio State was what is Ryan Day going to ch- do uh, to help our defense and help the other side of the ball? Fairly quickly, uh, we got an answer to that um, with the hiring of, Oklahoma State's uh, defensive coordinator Jim Knowles um, at a record-breaking 1.9 million per year. Um, Zach, what do you think about this hire? Right move? I think it's
3: I think it's a great hire. Um, I, I I really you know I did a whole show breaking down his defense, and I just love I love what he does. I mean he he he's a multiple defense. He runs a number of different coverages, but the biggest thing they do is they twist the shit out of people up front and they they're aggressive. I mean these linebackers take edges, they they attack downhill. Everything we've like complained about for 2 years about Ohio State's defense, you cut on the film in the first couple plays you're like, "Okay, this is what I wanted. Like this is what yeah. I've been waiting to see." <laughs> yeah. I mean, he has an All-American linebacker right now at Oklahoma State so, and and you know, he obviously is going to walk into Ohio State and just drool over the talent that that he's going to be able to work with. So, I think it's an uh, an unprecedented move by Ryan Day. He knew that he needed to have one of the best D coordinators in college football to run his defense. That's what he needs. Cause he's running the offense and the program. He needs a big time D coordinator. And, and you know, Mike Gundy was not trying to let him go. He was not trying to let Knowles go. He, he tried to counter offer. And he even said his press conference, he said, I tried to keep him, but we got outbid. I mean, yeah. Ohio State paying has got 2 million a year almost. And Oklahoma State, I mean, that's, that's slightly absurd because Oklahoma State has so much oil money that it's not even – I mean, they could have paid the guy they five. They could
2: have million. just went to T-Boom Bickens for that money, and he would have been – Right. Like, I mean, they, yeah, could they could have paid him go. if they
3: really, really <laughs> wanted to, but he obviously <laughs> didn't want to shoot that bullet. But yeah. it's a great hire. I really like it.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting with all of these hires. Um, I think Mike Gundy, um, he's a, he's always an interesting interview, but he, he kind of took an underhanded shot saying, hey, I don't know. We're not going to hire anyone before the bowl game because – um, we at Oklahoma State don't like going into other programs midseason um, huh. and taking their coaches. What are your What are your thoughts overall on on just this the nature of how this all happens? You have Brian Kelly in playoff picture jumping ship to LSU. Something needs to give, I think. Right there, there should be some better rules of engagement set, or do you think it should be a free for all, guys?
3: Well, I mean, I, I think it just, just comes down to how you want to work a contract. You can certainly put in there that they have to pay at some insane buyout if they leave before the season's end. That's um, not hard to do, right? It's just normal contract rules. You could you could write a clause in there. And then, I mean, I, and I really don't know, other than getting the ink on the paper, I don't know why Ryan wanted him to leave before the their bowl game. I mean, you would think that yeah. they're playing Notre Dame. That's Ohio State's opening game. You think that Ryan would have wanted him to game plan against Notre Dame, or maybe that was the thing. He was like, you know what? I don't want Notre Dame to see his plan against them, so I would rather hire him now, so that he, you know, doesn't have to play his cards against Notre Dame and then come here and play the same cards. I, I you know, yeah. there's so many levels of of why, uh, yeah. but I, it doesn't didn't seem like something that was so pressing. You could get that ink ink on paper, and that guy could still go coach the bowl game for Oklahoma State. I don't know why it needed to be news right now that that Ryan hired him. As long as he hires him, you know, after the bowl game. Yeah, I think yeah.
0: that that's really the part that is important is when it becomes public, right? Because I think, like, if you're the coach and you made that decision for yourself after regular season, before the bowl game, whenever, if you share that with your team, like, the right way, before it leaks on Twitter, then we don't have any problems, right? But yeah. the problem right now is is less about when the deals are happening and more about when we all find out that they're happening. Yeah. yeah
2: that's I, a I think that's a great point. One last thing on this, this hire before we, we move on to the... The next topic is what do you think becomes of the rest of the, uh, uh, the assistant coaches is, is he cleaning house? We keep, we keeping anyone. It seems like if Larry Johnson wants to keep his job, he's going to be allowed to keep his job, but it's, it's going to be interesting. Are we going to really let this man, um, hire the people he wants to hire? Or do you think some of the, some of the staff is going to be staying on Zach?
3: No, I think there's going to be a a pretty major staff turnover. Um, you know, I, I, I think the biggest question marks are: is Larry going to retire? I don't think he is. I think he's back as the D line coach, and then and then I I honestly think that the rest of the defensive staff is is kind of on the outs. I mean, certainly one guy has to go because we just hired a guy, so it's yeah. There's there's only ten chairs. You can't have eleven people, so somebody has to go. And you know, I don't know if it's if it's Carey gets actually fired, he takes another job. If it's Matt Barnes who you know, wants to go be a coordinator somewhere and he takes a job. I know Ryan basically laid it out for the guys that weren't going to return and said, Hey, listen, you have 30 days, you know, until we announce staff changes. So you can go, go find another job. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to fire you and leave you on the street. I'm giving you 30 days, go get another job. Um, and that was kind of the the memo that was sent to all the coaches. And then the other, the other guy that I, I think, uh, is on the hot seat and certainly probably could see a change is, uh, at O line with Greg Sarawa. I think that the way that he is recruited and the way they the O line played against Michigan, it, it, there's a chance that he he might be seeking employment uh, elsewhere. Yeah, what, what do you think about um, on the defensive side? Are they going to totally just
0: revamp it to uh, to Jim Knowles?
3: Well, yeah, I mean the, the thing about it is is Jim Knowles is coming in right and and he's he's not going to want to walk into a room with three or four assistant coaches that are already there. Like he's yeah. going to want to bring at least a guy of his right to come with him. So he's going to have a lot of say in that staff and Ryan's going to have the ultimate, you know, the final word on all of it, but he's, he really, he's going to have more say than I think people think they, they, they're, they're sitting here thinking Ryan's going to make all these moves. I think a lot of it has to do in, with the conversations between Jim Knowles and Ryan. And, and I mean, when you try to recruit a guy and pay him that much money, there's, there was a lot of things that needed to be decided on before he would ever take that job. And I promise you, one of them was, I need to, I need to bring a guy or two with me. Like I want to have my staff, I want to build my staff and Ryan can't say no to that or else he's not going to get the guy.
2: And so, and and for this to work, he's got to allow, you got to get, when you hire someone like that, you've got to give him the power to do um, what he needs to do. And we've seen this over the last couple of years. We know enough about Ryan's DNA to know, um, that he's more of an offensive guy anyways. The best thing for him to do is it's is to have a guy that can be the CEO of the defense in my opinion. And hopefully uh, hopefully he, he allows that to happen here.
0: Yeah. Yeah I, I think so too. I mean I think any change is a good change, especially on the defensive side of the ball. We've been struggling for a few years on that. So it's nice to see, especially as a fan. And I think what's interesting is just going to be the dynamic of this team next year. I mean, I, one thing I've grown to admire about Ryan day is the fact that he does make the changes very quickly when they need to be made as opposed to many who let it fester and sit around for a long time. And that's how you get better. That's how you stay in this, in this seat as the head coach. So, um, you know, I'm happy with what I've seen so far.
2: Yeah. And he's under, under a lot of pressure. Um, Obviously uh, being a first time head coach and being the first time head coach at Ohio state, Uh, I think he realizes, and it's good, like you said, that he has the awareness of the pressure that he's under um, and the lack of time he really has to get things right. Um, With that said, the big step, Zach, and you've mentioned this a couple of times, is do you think that in that process, eventually, Ryan needs to just operate as a head coach and give up play calling? Do you think that that's Down the line what's best for the program or do you think that this is something he can continue to do um, while also managing everything else that comes with being a head coach
3: yeah i mean i i think he's the only only time he would give up play calling duties is if he felt like he had somebody that could call plays as well as he does and he doesn't right now and i don't know that there are many out there that can so he's not going to have a lesser play caller calling the plays than himself um you know, for sake of being a CEO, I think if you're, you know, it just goes to the coach's strengths, right? Like if Urban Meyer wanted to call plays, it would have been a complete train wreck, but because that wasn't his strength, urban strengths were in different areas, right? Um, Lincoln Riley calls plays. There's head coaches that call plays. It's possible. And and Ryan just needs the defense to do their job. Like the defensive coordinator yeah. to do his job, the defensive coaches do their job. And if they do it, Mickey Mirati does his job. Ryan can call plays that he has time for that because he's outsourcing and paying a lot of money to Mickey Marotti and now Jim Knowles to kind of handle their business so he can handle his. And yep. so I don't think he ever gives it up. And and if he does, it would be because he just has some freak uh, offensive mind on his staff, which, which I don't know who that is right now. Uh, I don't think that he has one, but exactly
0: yeah. uh, the only way could, uh, could possibly enter. Here.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, like Ryan is on a different level when it comes to like scheme and play calling. He's just on a different level than, than I've been around and, I don't know many people that, that are on that level that he would feel comfortable with. Can yeah. we talk about the Bears rumor? Yeah. What how does that even first of all
0: where does that come from like a rumor like that and how like how do you evaluate the weight of something like that? Zach?
3: Well, I mean there you know every, all these coaches have agents so those agents are constantly talking to people about yep. you know, Ryan Day's agent talking to NFL teams about him whether Ryan wants to go to the NFL or not. Right. Um, because his job is to present opportunities to Ryan and Ryan to say no. So uh, I know Trace Armstrong trying, is, is trying to get in on the, the management deal and, and kind of get out his, his agent business um, and get in on that, That you know, that G, not GM, but whatever, whatever he's going to be. Front, so front office, office, front man. office. Yeah. yeah. And he, for and he played for the
2: Bears. he played, yeah, he for, played the for the Bears. The, for many.
3: The Bears. I, think he, I think he's sick of being an agent. He's done it for a long time. He's one of the you know top two agents in, in the country. And so I think he wants to do something else. And I'm sure he floated the idea that, you know, I, I can, I can take a real run at Ryan day if, if I get this job. And, um, and so that, that. I think that's all it is right now. But Mm. to think that that's not happening every year for a successful coach, like how does Brian Kelly get the LSU job? Because his agent is constantly like putting feelers out for these jobs. Just so Brian knows like, Hey, this school might be interested in you. Would you consider it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speak, speaking of coaching changes and, and how they happen, it seems like the best paid gig in in, in the country right now is being either NFL or college football coach, right? Because you get paid for being bad, right? Like when you, when you leave, um, it, it's, it's almost like I a, a, a look at the ecosystem, how the economy works, right? Why would they change it? If you're the school, a guy leaves, they have some, if it's a really good coach, you have some significant buyout that the school gets um, gets into their, into their budget. Um, yeah. If, if you're, if you're the coach and you're the attractive, the attractive, um, attractive coach in the marketplace, they're going to do anything. They say Lincoln Riley, they they paid double for his houses. Um, they raise your salary. There's almost like, no consequence to setting up a system in which nobody has any loyalty. Um, and it seems to be working out for everybody who's in positions of power, but is this also part of the reason that we're seeing the decline of the actual quality of coaching? If there's no real like consequence, even if you get fired, unless it's for like cause you get arrested or something, you're going to see most of the money in your contract, right? Like there doesn't seem to be any consequence really for Poor performance um, at, at this high level of coaching, and that seems to be something that's a, a interesting conversation to at least talk about.
3: Yeah, I think it's just such a such a volatile job and, se- and such a, a a fragile job where you you know you you lose four games and you get fired. I mean, you look at some of these coaches like Ed Orgeron got fired a year after winning a national championship, Gus Malzon fired a year after winning a national championship. Yeah. It's just like it's so quick. How how the the passion or the, the admiration for you as the head coach can be lost? Yeah. That I mean, you could be you win a national championship and twelve months later get fired. That's absurd, and yeah. I, you know it's kind of it's a vicious cycle because that is the case nowadays. It didn't used to be, but it is now because they're paying coaches so much more money. Well, that just means the coach knows that he's disp- disposable at any moment if if they if they have a down year. And so that coach also is going to say, all right, well, I need to get as much money as I can because I could be fired. And so now yeah. it's a vicious cycle, right? Then it, so that now schools are paying more to get the right coach. The coach is taking the job that 10 years ago they would have never taken because Lincoln Riley doesn't know if he if he loses four games again next year. He might be out at Oklahoma. So yeah. you might as you, you got to take that USC opportunity.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That's pretty well said, too. It's like the coaches, you know, it's easy to, to say that they're bailing, but it was more the institutions that bailed on them first in terms of showing that trust, showing that longevity and believing in them even through the rough times. And so this is the natural <coughs> in that ecosystem.
2: Yeah, it is. It's 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 fascinating, but it just seems like I just would like to dive deeper. And I'm sure Zach eventually will. in one of his deep dive analysis um, about the effect that this is having on the quality, um, the quality of of the product that's being put out um, all of the all all this entire scenario and this entire system, the way that it's set up. Should we revisit how it's set up if we actually care about, you know, creating quality competition in in college football?
0: Do you think the product is is worse, V?
2: I do. I do. I think there are there was I feel like in the in the nineties and two thousand you were talking about probably 10 teams, um, that, that really were competitive. Now you're talking about three to four, you know? Um, and I think that that's a pretty significant, a significant change. You've got big time programs that have just fallen like Tennessee, the U Florida state. These schools were always top tier schools year in and year out. Now they just aren't, and they're not even competitive um,
3: with the elite schools anymore. What do you think, Zach? Is college football better or worse? Yeah, I mean, I think that that it's it's getting more top heavy. You know, I think that that teams like Alabama that are doing it so well, Georgia's doing it so well, Ohio State's doing it so well in recruiting, development, and everything that that they're getting better and better at the top, and so that's kind of watering down that that second tier, right? And, and don't get me wrong, there's been some bad hires and at my, like my VC talk about Miami, Florida state. I mean, hi, hiring Will, Willie Taggart at Florida state still is, I mean, that's a, almost a program destroyer. Yeah. Um, so there's, I, I think it really more is an advent of the hiring process than, than the coaches and the coaching changes. I think it's, it's the reliance on agencies to, to make hires for athletic departments. And they, you know, they pay out, outsource these firms to go tell them who to hire basically and they make these awful awful recommendations and when guys get jobs sometimes you just scratch your head like what like that doesn't make any sense and they got away from that a little bit this year this year's been the wild wild west because it's not just hey go find me the next urban meyer at utah now it's like no i want the best coach in the country and mario cristobal is that and so let's spend whatever we can to get him from oregon right that's not how it used to be um, and this year is really the first year you saw Brian Kelly jump from a blue blood to a blue blood, uh, Lincoln Riley, blue blood to blue blood. And then, you know, Mario Cristobal, there's been a bunch of them Yeah, and then kind of the less splash hires are Florida. They go get Billy Napier from Louisiana and it's like, yeah. all right, I mean, I, he's a great coach, but that didn't help in recruiting. That wasn't a splash hire. Like yeah. Miami's going to be kicking Florida's ass in recruiting because they made a splash hire. I right? mean, they just
2: lost their quarterback to Oklahoma as a result of the hire. <clears throat> he said after he met with Billy Napier, he, he went over to Oklahoma. <laughs>
3: right. And, and even like, even Oklahoma then, they lost the guy in a splash hire to USC. Then they go out and get the coordinator that, you know, dozens of schools have courted, but he's never considered. And they get yep. Brent Venables, who, who most thought would never be a head coach because he turned down so many opportunities.
0: Yeah, I think the the other thing that's really interesting about this is that the programs that you're talking about that have not really succeeded in this modern era in my view, you know, maybe not I think Alabama's just done a great job, but like a Florida for example doesn't get to use the same means they used pre-NIL to attract players. Whether, you know, a lot of these programs especially in the south used cash, used cars, used a lot of different tactics to get players to show up, I think that was across the country in general, but when it's being measured and tracked and there's tax implications as well, the game gets harder.
3: There's no doubt. And I think you're going to see more parity in college football because of NIL, because those Southern schools were really, really good at funneling money through churches and, and, and doing cheating uh, in a very discreet way. And and people up North and out West just weren't great at it. I mean, look at what USC did. They just flat bought Reggie Bush a house <laughs> and like shit like that. You're like, my God, you can't be that dumb. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so it it's just made it all legal now. We're now Ohio State doesn't have to be good at cheating or try to cheat. They can just legally do it all. And yeah. so now they're going to they're going to be able to compete it with anyone a, in the south.
2: It creates an even bigger competitive advantage for the schools that are well set up. Yeah. And you know, our, 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 we'll get to Urban Meyer a little bit. One thing we can say is that he's been very good at that aspect of understanding how to set up the infrastructure around an athlete for them to 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 exploit all the benefits that come with coming to Ohio state in Columbus, where there's dozens of fortune 500 companies outside of the, Hey, here's just a, here's a, here's a, here's a car you can drive around. Like actually thinking about it at a more macro level. I think, um, he's definitely been a trailblazer in that aspect. We can, we can dog him out a little bit later on, but let's give him some credit for more credit to do. (laughs) For sure. Um, it's, it's just an ongoing conversation that I think, you know, we'll continue to have, um, but I, I personally think there should be more accountability overall um, for people to do a good job. There should be, you should have some fear. Like I think you were saying, Zach, Charlie Weiss is getting paid by like three different people right now just to sit on his ass and not be good at his job. And like, what kind of set, what does that say to the rest of us? You know? There's
3: no doubt. I mean, there's, there should be I think I think it's all contract law. I mean, they're just they just yeah. need to redo how they do contracts. The problem is it's such a competitive market that coaches will say no. You know, yeah. coaches, you try to put something in there that like if you lose five games, like the buyout drops, they're going to say, absolutely not. I'm not I'll go somewhere else and be a head coach. And it's so and competitive that you, you kind of have to do what the coaches want.
2: That's yeah. where this, this organization that funnels millions of dollars from everyone called the NCAA sets guidelines that everybody needs to follow. Maybe that would be a good solution. <laughs> right. Well, okay. That'll be the day. They
0: money, so they want less rules. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about Quinn Ewers going to Texas. You know, it was, it was a little heartbreaking. I was really hoping to see the mullet on the field, uh, in an Ohio state Jersey, but, uh, you know, I, I think for a guy like that, maybe it's good for him to be closer to home. Texas is kind of a dumpster fire of a program the last few
3: years. Is it going to get better with
0: him there? Do you guys have any any sort of lens on this?
3: Well, I'm a big Steve Sarkeesian fan, and I know they got a lot of work to do because Tom Herman left the culture of fucking train wreck. But he, he's doing it. I mean, he's, he's got he's got the staff in place. He Now he's got a quarterback. I mean, that kid was the highest rated record, recruit in the history of recruiting, whatever that's worth. I mean, yeah. a kid is uber talented. So, I, I and, and now you see a little bit more momentum. Um, I think the only problem they have right now is Texas A&M is, is slapping that ass in recruiting right now. <laughs> and honestly, they're slapping everybody's ass in recruiting. I mean, they're, they're yeah. probably going to get seven of the 35 five-stars at Texas A&M. And Jimbo's, so Texas, Jimbo's tech, got a
2: formula that works, clearly. Well, he does. <laughs> yeah. And this
3: this honestly reminds me of what he did at Florida State. He's, he's yeah. stockpiling so much talent in this class. He had assigned a good class last year. I mean, if he gets one more ridiculous class, like watch out for Texas A&M, they'll be the team to beat. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And then uh, Spencer Rattler to South Carolina that just came up this morning as well. Your thoughts on that transfer? I was a little surprised. I was expecting him to go somewhere that was a little bit more Hollywood than South Carolina.
3: Yeah, no doubt. Um, and I don't know the real reasons why he did it, obviously, but but I think Shane Beamer's, you know, he had an impressive year at South Carolina this year. I mean, to 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 get Bull eligible, um, from the train wreck they were in um, it, it's it's kind of a hot time to to consider South Carolina because Clemson's down you know the SEC East is garbage outside of Georgia it's I I honestly think this is a big 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 play for South Carolina to try to get in the mix in the east I mean they're not gonna they're not on the level of of, of Georgia but you know Clemson used to be kind of a slap program too and then they they emerged as this monster because of recruiting so you when, when a big move like that happens, recruits and everyone notices, right? Why would yeah. Spencer Rattler go to South Carolina? Recruits sit there and say, I don't know, but I probably should find out like what's going on there. And all of a sudden, there's interest in South Carolina. All you need is that one player, right? Yeah. And then other other players will consider them. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see what Shane Beamer does with this and how Spencer Rattler does.
0: And I believe he was uh, the OC at Oklahoma, right,
3: that recruited him. There's some sort of tie-in there with the offensive coordinator that yeah made. I don't I'm not really sure that makes sense though uh I didn't look into it uh yeah too deep but but that would make a ton of sense that would yeah, make I a ton was of informed, sense
0: I was informed by uh you know my my living Oklahoma fan here
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh so
3: well and, yeah. and you know the other news about that transfer is the Oklahoma so Oklahoma lost their two best receivers their preseason Heisman favorite quarterback and their, their t- starting tight end and their starting tight end was de- was looking at Ohio State and ended up going to to South Carolina with Spencer Rattler. So he's already pulling in talent. He brought his tight yeah. end with him from Oklahoma.
0: That's such that's such a funny funny little duo to to transition over to is like backup quarterback tight end. And I I got to say this, Rattler with the performance he gave at the beginning of the season this past year, it's about the skill level to be the South Carolina quarterback right now.
2: He's going <laughs> <really, laughs>
0: really prove it. Right. <laughs>
2: We'll see what he does with it. I thought he might come out to the NFL draft. Now let's talk Let's, let, let, let's talk a little Heisman. Um, let's start with the positive story. I think even though we're all Buckeyes here, um, we can sit back and, 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 and give credit where credit is due. Uh, Bryce Young went out and earned the Heisman this year. Seems okay. like a great kid on and off the field. Just someone, regardless of what program you root for, a person you'd want to root for, energy and attitude you'd want to root for um and to go into a school like alabama um as his first year as quarterback knowing the pressure that nick saban puts on his players to deliver the way that he delivered um I think well well earned award for him
3: yeah oh without a doubt without a doubt i think uh i mean i i think as we got down the home stretch especially after the what he did to georgia i mean he just was the best player in college football and uh, I still, you know, my sentiment has always been the same. He's not an, uh, an NFL arm yet. He's, he, he's not, you know, he doesn't make NFL throws very often, but he is a baller and he manages the game. He, he escapes the pocket. He runs around and makes plays scrambles to extend plays. I mean, what he did to Georgia was, was unbelievable. And, um, that's, that's, that's the part of his game that separates him from CJ Stroud. CJ Stroud's a better passer, but Bryce Young, is, is a better competitor honestly like he has he has more juice he has more energy he you know attacks the game and he's just out there almost playing backyard football and just balling and I, um, I, I you know he, he was definitely the the Heisman Trophy winner in my mind unless if you if if the award was not the award that it is if it was actually for the best player in college football I think it should have been Kenneth Walker III from Michigan State but yeah. That's not what the award is. So for what the award is now, Bryce Young absolutely deserved it and, and good for him. Like you said, I think he seems like a great kid, too.
0: He reminds me of uh, Trey Young when he was in college. Like, yeah,
3: fire. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and he's fun to watch. Like you watch that SEC championship game and he was fun. Every time he took the field, you're like, who What's this son of a bitch about to do? Like, I can't yeah. wait to watch.
0: I went with yeah. the intent of supporting Georgia to watch it at a friend's house, and it, I was rooting for Alabama within like five minutes.
3: Isn't it funny how that works when it's, it's a game that you don't, you don't. It's not Ohio State, right? It happens yeah. to me every game. I'm like, yeah. you know what? I'd love to see Georgia win this game, and then you start watching, and you're like, no, nah, fuck that. I want. Alabama I actually like to win. the
2: guys on the other team.
3: Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm telling you, the, the game that I'm like most confused about myself is is the Michigan Georgia game. I don't know who I'm going to root for, who I'm going to want to win.
0: No, I dislike both teams strongly. I attended Georgia Tech, so I hate Georgia. I'm an Ohio right. State fan, so I so hate So who Michigan. are you going to root for?
2: I, hope I definitely don't want to see Harbaugh win <laughs> I
0: nobody advances.
2: I, I wanted <laughs> Michigan to <laughs> lose in the Big <laughs> Ten championship, so my, my, I'm pretty clear on where I stand on a that. Buddy of,
3: a buddy of mine's a big Tennessee fan, and I asked him the same thing about the SEC championship game because yeah. Tennessee fans hate Alabama and Georgia equally. Yeah. And he was like, what, pick a winner. He was like, mm-hmm. you ever seen Batman? Like I want Bane to come out and the fucking stadium to implode and everyone to die. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Hilarious, and 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 I'll give you my reason why we shouldn't be uh, be rooting for Michigan or anything involved with Michigan, with the complete lack of class and tact um, that that clown Desmond Howard um, showed during the Heisman Trophy ceremony in his job as a neutral analyst. Uh, Zach, I know you had some, some things to say on Twitter that actually got quoted in uh, a couple articles I saw. So I'll let you express your, your thoughts first.
3: <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 it honestly had nothing to do with the fact it was Ohio State-Michigan. It didn't have anything to do with it being That's Desmond true. Howard. Um, I, one, I don't respect him as, a, as, a, as an analyst at all. Yeah, I, I mean, know. you watch him on game day and his, his opinions and takes are completely uneducated and just bad. And he's biased just, and, always and i said he there's two options here one he's either really dumb like he's just he's not a smart person or he doesn't do any work he doesn't watch film he doesn't actually form an opinion so those are the only two options which yeah. is fine there's a bunch of those on espn that doesn't that doesn't make me angry yeah. but why i tweeted out out at him was because he took a moment that was supposed to be a moment a positive moment for kids right yeah and Aiden Hutchinson made made a little jab at C.J. Stroud, which was classy. It was fine, and he was really he wasn't even taking a jab at him. He just told him why he came back to school and what his goals were. Which one of them was to beat Ohio State? Yeah. And then Desmond Howard, the the headline after the Heisman was not Bryce Young wins Heisman. It was Desmond Howard takes shot at C.J. Stroud. That was the hot the headline. A
2: 19, a nineteen year old kid,
3: right? <laughs> and, and and even. Further. So that's that's the main point is like he made it about him. He stole the spotlight from kids that deserve the spotlight. He already had his moment on that stage. And he he, it was completely selfish and just what what I said, a bitch move like he's a bitch for that. And even more so than that, he didn't even take a shot at CJ Stroud. He took a shot at the offensive line. Those kids weren't even there. Like yep. he took a shot at kids sitting at home watching like they're smiling looking at their buddy CJ Stroud like up on the Heisman stage and he takes a, sh- a shot at them for no reason. It was classless and like I said he's a bitch for it. He is wow. a bitch and then his response to me calling him a bitch further proved how big of a bitch he is.
0: Well, I need <laughs> I need to look this up right now. Do you have do you have Okay, I missed this entire thing to our audience cuz I was moving and in, in the midst of some drama personally. So, what the hell happened, guys? Well, he, a typical,
2: I, a typical Desmond Howard, typical Michigan type of move. Like the whole concept of a Michigan man. We talk about it a lot. Is what they say that they represent and what they actually are. Pretty consistently with the people that have interacted to who are alums from that school, played football at that school. They're just bitches. Yeah, it's, the was, only way to describe it like there's an absolutely no this is a 40 some year old man. You're supposed to be an adult taking like the shot that the the class bully would take uh in third grade. Like it was like a third grade joke, right? And it's like like Zach said is it's it it shows a complete lack of connectivity or or tact. These are 19 20 year old kids. It's the Heisman trophy ceremony. CJ Stroud is there representing his school. What Aiden Hutchinson said was completely fine and fair, but for, because that's his peer, right? And it wasn't as bad and as classless as what Desmond Howard did, which is take a shot. Like Zach said, at people who weren't even there. And like, it was almost like he'd been waiting eight years to come. He'd like set up this joke for eight (laughs) years and he's like, Hey, I'm going to, here's my opportunity. I'm going to do it. And it's like, dude, like, what is wrong with you? You're a Heisman Trophy winner yourself. Like act as if right. Yeah.
3: And and like the whole, look at the whole thing. Like they asked Aiden Hutchinson, like, why did you come back? And he said, well, you know, we had goals. We had unfinished business. We, we wanted to make the playoffs. We wanted to win the big 10. We wanted to beat Ohio state and CJ standing right there. And that's all he said. And then, then Tebow like laughed and Tebow, what he said was perfectly fine. He was like, yeah. Oh man, I'm glad Kenny Pickett's in between you guys. And yeah. it was like funny. And then yeah. Des. Desmond had to go that the next step. And he was like, yeah, he's protecting you better than your O-line did. It's like, wow. Whoa, whoa, buddy. Like this is the Heisman. This is a, like a magical night. Shut the fuck up. Excuse my language. (laughs) Wow, That's somebody
2: who, despite everything that he's accomplished is still extremely insecure. Right. And, 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 and I don't know where that insecurity comes from, but it seems like ESPN consistently always wants to have this, Antagonist on set, whether it's Mark May or Desmond Howard, and it's like it's. I don't think it's healthy. Maybe it's healthy in the Twitterverse to have people like this around, but like Zach said, his analysis is always off. He clearly doesn't know what he's talking about. He's always the least prepared on set, and yet he's consistently promoted as a key part of the college football game day crew. And it's just a weird thing to me.
3: Yeah, it's wow. He's, no, he's, he's already gotten too much time from me. I mean, he he's, yeah, he's, yeah, I just saw his tweet back at he, you, he, but it looks like you got a lot of followers out of this whole drama. Well, it's like anything else. These these, these national sports national media people that want to want to like, first of all, you can only say one thing about me. And that's that I was a wife beater, which I wasn't, but it's like, it doesn't hurt me. It doesn't bother me. I mean, it's three years running. I get it. I get it. Some people are too dumb to look into the situation. And so he, when he says that stuff there, these media people are so dumb. They don't realize like that is just promoting my platform. And it's only going to help me in listens, yeah. downloads, advertising, revenue, everything. It's like, have fun, man. Take all the shots. Your 500,000 followers now are going to listen to my show <laughs> to hear what I say back. Right. And when they, tune, when they tune
2: into your show, they're going to hear real analysis that they
0: don't right. get from me. Right, you. and
3: that's the other part. I'll probably <laughs> steal them from his dumb ass. They'll be like, wow, this guy actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> that's a very nuanced, awful perspective on football. <laughs>
2: <Right>. <laughs> uh, speaking yeah. of awards, last one we'll talk about. Um, we, these off-season awards always come with controversy, but if you watched college football this year um, and you saw – what was happening on the field i don't think that there was any reason not to give jameson williams or one of the ohio state receivers the blitnikoff award let alone um put them on the all america team list and neither of those things happened. The, the receiver of pittsburgh he's a phenomenal receiver but when you analyze these things you have to look at quality of competition the type of games, meaningful games that they played, and who produced at the highest level. And yes, the Pittsburgh receiver had a few more touchdowns, a few more receptions, a few more yards. But it was clear to me that Jameson Williams was the best receiver in college football this year.
3: My yeah. humble opinion. I don't even think it's debatable. I mean, it, these awards have mostly become stat awards. And it's no different than all Big Ten. I mean, w- when these things get voted on, they're voted on by people who don't know football uh, at a high level. And, and a, a guy that I listen to a lot, is jo- his name's Josh Pate. He has a show called Late Kick. And he, uh, he has been pushing for, and his biggest thing is to vote on these awards, you should have to pass a, like a, a football aptitude test, like a very basic one like just show us that you actually have any idea what you're talking about. So, but when you vote on these awards cuz otherwise you just you're just going to like go on NCAA stats and say, "Well, this kid had 18 touchdowns and this kid had 14. So, the 18 touchdowns wins." And it's like, "What? Like have you watched the film? They throw it to they they throw it to that receiver 120 times in a year. Jameson Williams has far less targets and is scorching the SEC. It's not even close when you watch the film who's the better player. It's just a shame.
0: I think that logic extends all award shows. I think awards in general, man.
2: For yeah. not for no Ohio State receiver to be even put in that list. Did you watch any of our games? the The only thing we had going for us were our receivers. Yeah, <laughs> in a lot of these games, you, you know.
0: Watch the Michigan State game. That was receiver dominant. Oh yeah,
2: Michigan too. They kept us in the game with miraculous play after miraculous yeah. play.
0: As far as I'm concerned, that game didn't happen. But yeah. the Michigan <laughs> State game, as I was saying. Uh, yeah, Garrett Wilson, Solave, Smith Jigba. Like all three of these guys had made a case this season to be one of the best in the country.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And I think part of the problem is that with three that are that good, you could, they kind of take from each other. You know, it's just a lot like the Heisman Trophy, you know, whatever the Heisman Trophy conversation is, they didn't want Will Anderson, who was the best defensive end in college football, to be in the Heisman Trophy field with. Instead of Aiden Hutchinson, or or even just an, in addition to, because he's going to steal votes from Bryce Young, and now Bryce Young might not win it. Right. Yeah. So a lot of times you get these these politics where it's like, all right, they have three great receivers. I promise you, and my thing I tweeted out, and and some Pittsburgh local sports guy like got all offended. I was like, here's here's just a simple fact: Jordan Addison would not start at Ohio State or Bama. That's just it's just a fact he might be wide receiver three at Bama. He would not be in the, in, the, in the top three at Ohio State. And we gave him the award for best receiver in the country. Like, what, what is wrong with this picture?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't make, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, <laughs> but we'll leave that as that. We know how good these guys are, how great these guys are. Um, and we'll see that at the next level. So, um, fuck these awards. Uh, um last topic which is a topic we've we've covered um several times um urban meyer at jacksonville you know he come under fire for a lot of different reasons this year you know before he went to the nfl we've had our doubts about whether or not that's a job suited for him just actually coaching grown men versus kids Um, Urban Meyer's style is Zach knows better than anyone else having worked for the man for most of his life, adult life, um, (laughs) takes a very dictatorial approach to coaching. Generally, it's my way or the highway. You guys are going to do it my way, or, um, I'm the smartest guy in the room always. When you're dealing with, first of all, players who are making millions of dollars and are not 18 years old anymore. Um, And then coaches as well who have earned their keep um, throughout their own coaching career. That style we thought might not mesh uh, very well. Um, And it clearly isn't uh, working in Jacksonville, but it's a very interesting situation that the owner faces. Um, He gave him a six-year contract. Um, And he's on the hook for most of that salary if he does fire him. I think they should have taken the opportunity maybe earlier in the season to fire him with cause if that was what the goal was. But what do you do in a scenario like this? Because I don't see Urban changing who he is. um, And I don't see NFL players changing who they are or front office people or, or other coaches changing. What happens in this situation, Zach? You you can shed a lot of light on on this scenario and and, and kind of what it's like dealing with that type of style of of coach and leader.
3: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I don't think they're going to fire him this year. Uh, I certainly will not be surprised if they do, but I don't think they're going to. And I think that is going to give Urban the opportunity to reflect and and try to change his approach to things. I think the the biggest issue is not Urban's ability to put together a plan that would be successful at the NFL level. I think the issue is that when things aren't going well and he faces adversity, how does he react? Because traditionally, he has absolutely imploded and went full on psychopath. And that's what he clearly is doing now, telling the staff they're losers and he's a winner. And, you know, the players are all bent out of shape because of how he's treating them and not playing the best players because a kid fumbled and all this stuff that is just not NFL football. That is college football. And if he can stick to his plans when he's not going through adversity and losing his absolute mind, um, then I think he has a chance to turn it around. But it's going to take I mean, they're, they're going to have to bring in a ton of players because they, the biggest problem they have is talent. I mean, and, and he's got to build a culture and he's not building a culture that they're, that they're thriving in right now or enjoying for that matter. Um, so I don't know. I don't know the answer. I don't, can he do it? I I said he couldn't do it before he went. It's looking like I'm probably right. He's, he's just not built for the NFL. Um, I've said that since 2005 when I really 2001, when I, when I played for him, um, he's just not an NFL coach. And so, could he turn it around? Absolutely. He's a smart guy, and he, he's been very successful. But will he? I, I have my doubts.
2: Yeah, it's, like you said, the personality aspect. Are you going to do the deep work to understand why you're such a sore loser? right? Like, <laughs> And how irrational could you possibly be to think that you are going to go into the NFL with a team that I think finished either 1-16 or 16 or 0-16 last year and think that you guys are going to contend for the playoffs? He had to have at least been told by someone hey it's going to be a few years or a couple years before you can turn this thing around for him to actually think that they're supposed to be 12 and 4 or whatever and they're not supposed to be losing seems to be a a personality flaw more than anything else
3: well and i think it's just something that he's never went through He's not yeah. he, everywhere he's went. It's been instant success. And what he doesn't realize is, I mean, he has, he has two winnable games coming up. He has to play the Texans and the jets, right? He, they could win those games, right? And they're, they're probably going to lose to the Patriots and Colts to end the year, but a three win season in year one, you know, with the amount of young talent they brought in to build for the future. That's not, that's not a, a, a failure, right? That it's going to take three years to get them to the point where they might contend for the playoffs. Like this is not a short-term fix. Like it is in college. And the problem is how he's handling going, you know, one in whatever they are, 12 right now, one in 11. Um, that, that's the issue. It's not that they're not winning. Everyone knew they weren't going to win year one. It's how he's going about his business that, that's killing him and, and honestly harming the, the culture of the team.
0: And it would be a, a four-win season, by the way, because they beat, they beat the Bills as well as the Dolphins.
2: I think they have a tie on their record too, don't they? Or no?
0: That's a good question. I don't even know. They are two and 11. Okay. Size. But okay. still, I mean, that's, that's honestly not that bad for an Owen 16 franchise.
2: Well, I think what he's no. doing more than anything, and this was an issue toward the end of his Ohio state tenure with JT Barrett, right. And other players is like, why is everybody on the team knows that James Robinson is a better running back at this phase of his career than Carlos Hyde is yet what you're seeing and showing to your team is favoritism, right? Because oh, he's, yeah. he's saying that the reason, on one hand, he's saying that the reason that James Robinson got pulled for like six series of the game was because he fumbled. Carlos Hyde fumbles in that same game, and he's out there on the next series. And Urban doesn't have the <laughs> ability to recognize the contradiction in his own statement. That's also something where you're really – when the NFL, those guys, it's a true meritocracy. They're fighting for a job to stay on a roster so that they can continue to feed their family, to play these type of games with a guy who's earned it, and everybody on the team believes has earned it. Um, it just, it just shows something to me that's that's a real issue. Like you can't, you can't play favorites like that. You know, you can't do it. You just can't. <laughs> no. And no, you crazy. can't,
3: or, or or you you end up having what happened happen, right? Yeah. Trevor Lawrence, your rookie quarterback, comes up to you and demands that you put the kid back in. Then you put the kid back in, and now it's like, all right, whoa, who's calling the shots here? The, yeah. the long-haired, you know, twenty-two-year-old, or the veteran uh, national champ coach? Young, young Jesus, right? <laughs> young Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Urban saw the
2: light emanating from his <laughs>
0: a circle behind Trevor Lawrence's head
2: light up, and he was like, "Oh, damn." But, but I give credit to the kid for having the balls to, to step up and, and, and do that and do it in a ta- as tactful of a way as you possibly can. But he was basically like, you're putting me in position to lose, bro. Like, this can't right. happen. Yeah, well, like, let's
0: be real, too. Like, Trevor Lawrence, both him and Justin Fields, there's, there's never been an issue with those. Those are some good dudes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Urban's in a good situation in Jacksonville. And isn't that a Brown owner? Yeah. So I I wouldn't be surprised if we see V in that
3: locker room pretty soon talking to Urban.
0: We all (laughs) know how it works.
3: (laughs) You know, the the thing about it is Shad Khan is the owner and and he's I don't want to say he's like the Rooney family where but but you know the Rooney family stuck with Mike Tomlin for a while. And yeah. before he won the Super Bowl. I mean, they they were loyal and they wrote it out because they believed in what he was doing. And Shad Khan's kind of had a history of that. Yeah. Of giving guys yeah. three, four years that are that are train wrecks because he's like, No, I hired this guy. I saw something in him. I believe in him. I'm gonna ride this out and give him a chance. And yeah. so the question is, I mean, he even came out today and said, when someone asked him in an interview, like what are you going to make a move or whatever? He said, I'm going to do what's in the best interest for the team and the city of Jacksonville. And you're like, Oh boy, <laughs> that's not the vote of confidence yeah. you're looking for. <laughs>
2: and I don't think he wants to, he wants to bring on a, a another six year co- pay out a six year contract and go here and find somebody else that quickly. No, no.
0: <laughs> I think he's going to talk to urban and be like, Hey, the extracurriculars in the headlines need to stop my guy. <laughs> <laughs> go to Dublin if you need to go to go to your pint house you know (laughs)
2: right it'll be an interesting interesting uh situation and I don't think you know one thing Urban is is he's very prideful and I don't think he wants to go out uh, of the NFL on this note so um if he does get a second chance hopefully he makes the improvements um takes the advice um and, and takes a different approach and he can be successful if he fixes those personality aspects. I do think he can be a great CEO of any Fortune 500 company um, with the right right situation.
3: There's no doubt, and I think the one thing that this is cementing, right, is, is either he gets it right and fixes it and and has some success, or you're guaranteeing that he coaches college football again because there's no way this is the the curtain call to Urban Meyer's career. He's way too prideful and. You know, you could go further than prideful and say conceited, cocky, arrogant to go out and this be his his final, you know, countdown. There's no way he he'll be back in college football within the next five years.
0: Final question. Where would he go if he went to college?
3: Oh, uh, probably Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's somewhere I mean, there.
2: there's a there are a few programs out here, you know, Florida State, Utah. Uh, he can no. be the hero he 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 I, wants to, he's got to go somewhere where he can be the hero i think florida state tennessee those type of programs are or notre yeah. dame i mean i'm i'm rooting for freeman so i don't mess but if he doesn't get results in the first couple of years that job will be open you know those are the type of jobs he's not going to take anything outside of that type of job where no, he can come it, in and be the hero
3: no he he's only going to take a, a a job where he feels like he can win a national championship. So, I mean, I I don't know what what that job is. To be honest with you, uh, Florida. He could go back to Florida, though. They, you know, it's like anybody else. There, did. they <laughs> hate him down there. But so did Ohio State fans. Hated him more than anything in the world until he became the head coach. Then they loved him.
2: <laughs> That's <laughs> why I see Florida State as a possibility. Right, be the real bad guy. Oh, but I don't man. know if he can. <laughs> they they need to. Complete- he
3: would need he would need bodyguards everywhere he went in the state of Florida. Yeah. If he took oh, the Florida that, State job. On
0: that note. Yeah. Tweet us If you have a possible Destination for Urban Meyer to end up Should he get fired That's yeah. <laughs> at Pilot Boys Podcast or at Coach Zach Smith, the Twitter I just Checked out to figure out what was going on With the Desmond Howard beef Very exciting, thank you Zach for joining us This week, absolutely, thanks for having me on
1: Show the Pilot Boys some love By getting some of our exclusive merch At shop.pilotboys.com You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast.
0: Hey, this is Partha. Not only am I a Pilot Boy, but I'm also the CEO of Lasso. I started Lasso to help people improve their movement on a daily basis. We design and create compression apparel that enables you to move confidently, recover safely, and ultimately be the best version of yourself. We use a patented compression technology that activates key ligaments and tendons to help you improve your proprioception, coordination, and balance on a daily basis. Lasso socks were recently ranked number one by Men's Health because of how much they improve how your body works and the overall comfort, softness, and feel of the product. We're very proud of the Lasso socks, so check them out on our website at lassogear.com or at lassogear.
1: Undo Media is proud to be the production partner for the Pilot Boys. Storytelling is what they do. From video production, podcasting, and consulting, Undo Media's focus is on telling your story. Find out why four Emmys and hundreds of clients will back up why you should contact Undo Media for your next project. Look them up at UndoMedia.com.
0: All right, V, let's get this ball rolling. its is let's go is 4-4-4. What a coincidence that we started the podcast right at this time.
2: Very cool. It seems like repeating numbers keep happening to us.
0: Seriously. And... Honestly, like that's not something I noticed in my life before. And then once I like started to look up what repeating numbers are about, it's like every single time I look at my phone or I look at any sort of clock, it's got repeating numbers.
2: Yeah, that happens to me pretty much every time I look at my phone.
0: Me too. It's like it's way above 50%, which is ridiculous
2: yeah it's crazy and it's been happening uh it's been happening more and more recently.
0: Dude, I was at this like like resort situation near where I live over the weekend. I just like pulled up to grab some food with a homie and my lady and uh, we went to go um, hang out and I looked up at the screen at the bar at the restaurant and it was playing like the Miami heat game and it was forty four to forty four with 44.4 seconds left. Wow. It was nuts.
2: That's pretty crazy, man. Yeah.
0: It was nuts. Like that that's not even like a common thing to happen in games.
2: No, it's not. It's not. So what is what is this thing with with repeating numbers? What is the logic behind why people think it's such good fortune?
0: So, they say that repeating numbers are signs from the universe, God, guidance from the future, you know, guidance from an angel. Um, Sometimes they call them angel numbers. uh, They call them divine numbers. But essentially the idea is that um, it's a means. This is a spiritual set of beliefs, but it's a means that the universe uses to communicate with us. And so it comes from this belief in this worldview that we are, operating in a realm where our senses are giving us a very limited scope of what's happening around here. So the belief is that what we see smell touch feel what taste taste is only one part of this world and there's so much other stuff like I think many of us can relate to that feeling when you know you go into a room and the vibe is bad and you're just like whoa like weird energy in there or You go to a sports event, and there's just a certain certain like tension or aura in the room, and you can feel it just pop when somebody commits an action that goes the other way, right? And those kind of things, um, what what, uh, the belief is, is that that is the presence of just a lot more that maybe we don't understand. And so the repeating numbers have different meanings. Um, One, 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 I'm just going to read them all. 111 is, uh, it says it's a wake up call from the universe. Uh, 222 is often associated with relationships and partnerships. So when you see it often, it means it's time to pay attention to the people who are either coming into your life or a part of it. So it's the universe telling you your soulmate is nearby. 333 is called a trinity number. And it starts coming up when you need to align your mind, body, and soul. So it could be a little alert to let you know that one of the areas of your life is out of balance. Maybe you're working too hard. Maybe you didn't sleep enough. Um, 444 is Home and Family. It's also that Jay-Z album, that epic album. Um, it says it's a, it's a um, sign that you should start paying attention to your inner circle. It's not just family. It's your closest friends. Uh, you know, Spend time with your loved ones. You know, Check in on them, etc. So maybe that was the message today, V, is that I should check in on you a little bit more.
2: (laughs) Might be. Might be. Five, five, five.
0: I'm just running through this list. The five, five, five. And you know what's so funny? I'm just going to interrupt myself. The first thing I ever learned when I did media training when I was younger is that you should never talk for more than, I think it was a minute and a half on radio.
2: I have far
0: exceeded that on this. We do that all the time a lot we don't follow any rules no we break them all yeah break them all so the 555 it it means there's momentum to move in a new direction so it's saying uh look for new opportunities and be ready to seize them when they come your way 666 is actually a positive meaning um it's connected to an idealistic worldview of optimism and the possibility of nurturing so it means you're going to enter a period of your life where deep relationships with others help with both your growth and theirs. Seven, seven, seven is luck. If that appears in your life, it means you're about to get something very wonderful with very little effort, and Quite it's all
2: slot machines, Read like a slot machine.
0: Exactly. Oh, that is interesting that we use that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then it's also tied to intuition. Um, so that means you should take gut feelings very seriously if you're seeing a lot of sevens. Eight 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 is connected to building and creation, but often that building is metaphorical. Um, so it's it's a time for long term planning, is what it says, and you know, setting setting goals for yourself. Um, another important meaning of eight 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 is realism, in particular when people see this repeating number pattern, they're often just about to learn an important truth. Finally, nine 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 is linked to broad concerns about the planet of the human race. So if you see the number nine repeating, you may soon be presented with an opportunity to help a huge number of people, either one at a time or all at once. That is very interesting.
2: Very, very interesting. Thanks for that rundown part, though.
0: Now we know everything about Not that nowhere. one. Yeah. And if you listen to this podcast, you have a fun fact for dinner tonight.
2: Yeah. Definitely, it'll impress. It'll impress your mate.
0: <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting too because it's like I think about you know if I ever to try to rationalize like repeating numbers, it's like there's so many things like clocks, like uh, highway signs, like so many things that we've designed in humanity that have numbers and use numbers in certain ways. So it it makes sense that um, you know repeating numbers can happen, but at the same time. For the most part, I believe, you know, you might have fact-checked me on this, I believe that studies show that if you ask people to randomly pick numbers, it's less likely that they will pick repeating numbers when a person is trying to be random because our bias in in us trying to be random leads us away from using the same number in, in repeated fashion. So theoretically, when you're seeing a repeated number, it should actually be the least likely thing you would see
2: interesting
0: in interesting. addition to the statistical significance of um you know repeating numbers being you know 1 of 10 times 1 of 10 times 1 of 10
2: oh yeah you missed one though what you didn't know the 1111
0: let's see 1111 that one it's, we've been that seeing. one's
2: one of the most common ones used 1111 make a wish
0: yeah it's a reminder that we are all one and all interconnected and it's also a call to action asking you to align your thoughts and actions with your highest good and best self.
2: Interesting. Wow. We turned that into asking the universe for things.
0: (laughs) Make a wish. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Be Your best self. And we're just like, can I have a pony?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Goes back to the genie and the three wishes. People don't ever understand. Uh, deep meaning behind uh your three wishes and everyone seems to fail the test
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's like something i've been considering a lot all of these fables of tests right and all this lore of like challenges you have to go through i think like w- life should be more like that
2: and maybe life, is, life maybe. is that it's yeah. whether or not you see the tests or not and whether you you are aware that you're failing or passing them right like Life is really a series of tests um, that you start with as a child. It starts with learning, learning how to open your eyes, right? That's a test. Crawling is a test. Walking is a test, right? Mm-hmm. Are you, are, and the tests get more complex as you get older, um, but it's always a series of tests,
0: right? There's, some, uh, there's this like, Kanye clip I saw once. I can't remember the, um, the exact quote. But someone's like, you know, like, can you answer that question? And Kanye's like, I'm not going to answer that question. And he's like, oh, why? And Connie's like, if I answer that question, if I answer every question you give me, that's the same thing as me taking a test. And Why would I want my whole life to be a test? Yeah. <laughs> I think that was on the Pilot Boys podcast TikTok, actually. Yeah, I think it was. I think, you should think it, it was. If you're listening, that's been bustling. It's been growing quickly.
2: I know. Close to a thousand followers. Shout out to our boy Shree. Shout out Shree. Making kicking, it happen. Kicking ass and taking names over there. Yeah. But it's it's a it's fascinating. It's life is a series of tests, but I think there is value in and this is gonna sound contradictory, but not looking at tests like they are tests in terms of like how we're taught um a test is. You know, a test isn't always a test of your knowledge and your aptitude of what you, like the school textbook idea of a test is how well do you absorb this knowledge and can you pass the questions we ask you? I think real life tests are not really about what knowledge you've, you've, you've actually absorbed, but how much common sense you have, right? Are you able to. Think quickly and take information that you absorbed and actually utilize it right in a practical way versus just a test, which is almost completely impractical. All the tests we took and all the standardized tests that we took, <laughs> <laughs> I think no that would be that, that would be the difference between real life tests and and academic type of tests.
0: Yeah, I think I think you're you're pretty accurate in that. You know, overall, it's like this this whole journey that that we all find ourselves on is full of these challenges that often yield different outcomes if you answer them the right way, right? Just like the fables. It's yeah. like if someone asks you a question, you answer it in the way only you can. Usually that unlocks a, a part of the world or part of this experience that you may not have known you could actually access.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's pretty intense and fascinating how much um, the things that happen for you in life are a result of the momentum you create in your life. Um, And that really is by making yourself believe that your answers at each phase are the answers you're supposed to give Mm -hmm. and then responding and adjusting based on your answers to the next test right like that's really what 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 it is and if you can create the right momentum which momentum comes from the confidence of believing that you have all the answers right or that even the wrong answers are going to lead to the right answers because it would be kind of er- arrogant and egotistical to say hey i have all the an- right answers the more humble way to look at it is the universe has the right answers for me and my life and the lessons that I'm supposed to learn along the journey. I'm going to learn along the journey, the wins that I'm supposed to collect are the wins I'm supposed to collect. The losses I'm supposed to take are the losses that I'm supposed to take. And I think the the problem with the way we're raised is that we're only supposed to measure our wins and think the wins are the only thing that's important. Mm. And that's a very, very impractical and inefficient, and very illogical way to look at life, because you, 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 you don't win every day in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. A day you're breathing is obviously a win. Waking up every day is a win. Okay, we can get past that, but you're going through. You're you're taking L's pretty consistently through life.
0: Yeah, you got <laughs> to. You know, you yeah. got to. But at the same time, it's like the. The secret to happiness is the lack of expectation around wins and losses. Just take what what comes your way. It's like I was reading this um, this uh, list of quotes <laughs> the other night, and it was just uh, I wish I could remember what it was, but I heard this quote. It was like, "You can swim against the current, or you can swim with the current, but you're going to get to the same place regardless."
2: Interesting,
0: like Interesting. that. That's really kind of how it is. I think we all think we have a lot more control over our lives than we do, but we really don't. We really don't have much control.
2: Yeah, we don't. We don't. And we—that's this obsession with trying to control—is actually, I think, um, is very damaging, right? And is when you talk about happiness, um, I think happiness comes from learning and knowing what you want to input into the world and not caring about the results, right? If you just look at your life and say, this is what I want to input into this world, into this space, and you don't worry about the results or you can get to that phase, that's true happiness because then you're controlling, you're in complete control. The thing you're in control of is your action. You're not always control in control of what the response is to that action. And I think when we talk about control, people want to control the responses to everything that they do. And you just can't do that because no two people think alike and you're not going to ever get universal acceptance of anything. You don't have to look any further than our presidential elections. Most of our elections are won at like a 51 to to 50 nine fifty, they're not they're not like runaway. You never see an eighty yeah. twenty presidential election. You know what I mean?
0: it <laughs> <laughs> did. It would be cause for concern. I think. Yeah. 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 That's a that's such a great point. I mean, life is very nuanced, and we were actually talking on the phone just earlier about this. It's like you can't if you can see many steps ahead on the chessboard you can't make 16 moves at once. You have to make a move and then (laughs) wait till they make their move or till the world reacts to the move you've made. And that's like, that is unrelated to you having to eat and pay your bills and pay rent and like live your life. Like those are two separate things. And a lot of people don't, they don't realize that they try to force the chess moves they make to make the money immediately and try to make multiple moves at once. And, just end up failing at all of it and i think we we all I, okay not we all i think most people who who have found a level of personal fulfillment can attest to the fact that life is a slow game it doesn't move as quickly as people would like you to believe it does
2: it is a very slow game it is a very slow game and the other part of it is is that um a lot of people want this comes with ego is and and the idea of control a lot of the results that you get in life don't come from actions that you take they come from the actions that other people take and sometimes they benefit you right and that's as simple as if you create a product think about it this way if you create a product and to generate revenue for that product Someone else needs to decide to buy that product. That has nothing. Yes, how good of a product helps determine that, but you have no control once you create the product, how the market is going to respond to that. And if you look at it like that and you start framing life like that and saying, I can control only the variables that are in my control, and hopefully if I'm selling a product or I'm starting a business, if that's what you're doing in life, hopefully that results in someone else saying, Hey, I want this, right? It's not you. It's very rarely you.
0: Yeah. hundred yeah, percent. I think there's two ways to do it too. There's like, there's the brand way. And then there's the sales way. The sales way is like, Hey, you talk to every single person. You're like, hey, I made this thing. It does this. You should use it. You should get it. You should buy it. You should buy it. You should buy it. And then the brand way is like, all right, I'm going to make some cool shit and I'm going to live my life. This is what my life looks like. And then people are just like, wait, it can look like that. Help me make mine look like that.
2: And you're like, all right, buy this thing. Yep. And the brand, the brand way is, you know, is is powerful because the brand way implicitly understands that everybody isn't your customer mm-hmm. right
0: exactly
2: you know it, it, it's in so many different worlds like you look at music not everyone is going to 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 affiliate with each genre of music but the people that like a certain type of music are loyal to that music and the people who make that music if you seek out that audience you'll be successful. But if you try to go beyond that, your results won't be the same.
0: Yeah, well said. You know, it's, it's such a, I think it's such an interesting thing that we're all trying to do in this day and age. I, I've been talking to you a lot, V, about the changes that we're noticing in the new generation coming up. And in general, like a huge struggle that I feel like people are facing after COVID with with the change in work style. You know, yeah. we had I would say like the best way to think about it is that pre-COVID, institutions were creating our structure for us, whether that was school, whether that was university, or whether that was a job, people could live their whole lives being told exactly where to be, exactly when to be there, never having to actually have a sense of personal responsibility. Yeah. And Post-COVID, now companies are saying work from home and people are saying, I don't want to come to the office. I want to work from home. I want ownership of my time. I want ownership of my freedom. I want to be able to have multiple income streams. I want to be able to do whatever, you know, whatever I want to do. All of that was accessible before, right? Yeah. But people weren't getting it before because they didn't have the necessary. Uh, Yeah.
2: And it's creating a dilemma for corporations and so many institutions that are structured in this way to have the worker bees for a lack of a, a better word people who you, you give a schedule you tell them this is what you're supposed they're not they don't want autonomy right they yeah. don't want they don't encourage that and so it's created like you said it's creating a, a very unique situation um that we're in because on one hand You have a lot of people who probably wanted freedom, but don't realize that they cannot be productive with that freedom, um, and they don't know how to set their own schedule. The people who are thriving are people who thought like entrepreneurs before COVID, right? Yeah. And – those people already created a system. You and I both are people who if they tell us we need to be there at eight a.m., we'll ask why the fuck do we need to be there at eight a.m. if we can start at twelve PM and finish the job.
0: Or right? vice versa. Yeah. Well, if they say you need to be at this thing at eight AM, we're there at seven thirty, bells on, ready to fucking play. If it's We a- already started.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You don't need it. You don't need a start and stop time. You yeah. Know? And, yep. and, and that's the reality of what this new scenario is, is we're going to find people who thrive on freedom. That's such a valuable trait to have. If you can be productive with freedom without oversight, without a manager, without a teacher, without a, all of these people that they've put in our lives throughout our lifetime, parents. Or another group right people to hold you accountable to yourself essentially you know what i mean yeah. these are all people that are put in place for everybody to be held accountable to themselves work on being accountable to yourself work yeah. on those traits and you will be successful and being accountable to yourself means understanding your flaws like if you're not a morning person might not be the best time to do the most productive things. If you're a night person, work at night. It doesn't make a difference when you do the work, just do the damn work. You know,
0: that's like, that's, that's such an interesting point too, is that in today's day and age, people almost have, and I, you know, I notice this in myself at times too. It's like, you feel like you shouldn't work in the evening, even though that might be time that that's like really productive for you, even in university or, you know, whatever it's like, that it's funny how we have the flexibility to want to do shit during the day. We want to start later, but we don't want to end later. We want to end at the same time and go do whatever else we want to do.
2: Yeah, it's it's weird.
0: This whole personal responsibility accountability standpoint is like the fundamental tenet of republicanism and conservatism in government. Not to say none of none of the republicans in government live like this, by the way, but yeah. This is the fundamental argument they make is that people should be accountable to a degree in a a society that functions. And if they're not, it's the individual's role, not the government's role to get them functional. The democratic argument is that the government should get them functional. And I think what we see in business culture today is that the corporations, which were in the past very, I would say, like commanding of people's time have now in today's work climate opted to just not not deal with like not deal with bullshit (laughs) you know what i mean yeah and there there's a there's a labor shortage but it's not like corporations are out here aggressively hiring people and sacrificing on the bar that they've set they're like we have a labor shortage and it's tough but we can't find anyone we want, you know? And that's a dilemma for a huge portion of this country that is in that transitionary phase that likely has never had to stand up on their own two legs before.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's fascinating times we live in um, because I'm not sure what's going to happen here. Right. And People make this argument all the time like what's going to happen to people with all this technology what they're not realizing that a lot of this technology is driven by the fact that human beings have failed at being able to deliver and do certain things effectively for businesses to effectively operate so yes if you're being replaced if if you're being replaced at the cash register buy a robot in five years, right? We're already seeing some of this, at grocery store checkouts and McDonald's and fast food chains. Ask yourself why that is and ask yourself, (laughs) would this be necessary? Would this innovation be necessary if people would have just been doing their job if the cashier at McDonald's didn't quit every two weeks? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. These these are the hard questions when it comes to technology that human beings don't want to answer. Now, there is a pertinent question, too, and that's of what then are human beings, if, if we're going to have technology and robots do all our work, what is our purpose? And that's becoming a real question. Yes. <laughs> yes,
0: you're right. You're so right, V. And I think that what am I here for is going to be the most important question of the next 10, 10 years or so. I think this is an era, in the last era, we defined a level of mental progression. We defined emotional needs. We defined how to communicate and have empathy. We defined understanding. You know, for for our fellow humans, humans we defined tolerance. And those concepts aren't everywhere, but They're here, for sure. And they're vocal as hell in America. And that, to me, implies a certain level of societal sophistication. And uh, you could look right on Maslow's hierarchy of needs that what's next is what's my purpose and how do I serve that?
2: Yep. Yep.
0: Yep. Once we figure that out as a society, and unfortunately, I will have passed by that point. But (laughs) once we figure that out, it's going to be pretty interesting as to what the next uh, next phase is because once you have a spiritually awakened humanity which i think will probably take another few hundred years for it to really trickle down into no maybe even a thousand years for it to really get to all humanity we've probably got you know a lot more work then what happens it gets really interesting
2: it does it does
0: in a fully automated society with fully self-actualized humans who are fit, healthy, emotionally vul- vulnerable and strong at the same time and spiritually awakened, all serving their purpose, full of creativity, beautifully connected. What happens next? That I'm so curious.
2: And what's it going to take to get there? That's yeah. the thing. Are we going to see, you know, what happens? We're also going to have- see what human beings are really about right yeah. what happens when the people who currently have the power and have the money suddenly realize 10 20 30 years suddenly they don't need a human labor force how are they going to behave how are they going to treat people what it, wh- what is it going to reveal about human beings and i think we have a history to show how human beings tend to behave um, in scenarios like this, right? Um, And, you know, we're not trying to start a doomsday conversation here by any means, but it's important to think about it and making sure that that you ask yourself, how do I create value um, that can't be taken away um, in society, right? And, it's a tough question to answer if you don't think about it. But if you think about it, you'll probably come up with something um that you can work toward, um, a purpose, a meaning, something that society can't take away from you.
0: Wow. Well said, V. I feel like that's a that's a good point to tie this one up. We've uh we kind of opened Pandora's box and I think I think it may be time to just put
2: put the bow back on it. Yeah, I think it's time to lock the key.
0: Yeah. If y'all want a deeper version of that, tweet us. Do just share share the podcast with someone. Help us get our listener base up and uh push that TikTok over a thousand and then maybe we'll maybe we'll go a little deeper. I would love to share some like crazier worldviews on this podcast. Eventually Yes, we'll get that.
2: We'll, we'll wait until the robots are running we'll have
0: everything to a Joe Rogan level. of yeah. size to be able to speak in in the most honest way.
2: <laughs> do you think Joe Rogan is even being honest, or do you think he just says what random shit am I going to say today? That's <laughs> what I mean by honesty. <laughs> let's just be provocative to be provocative.
0: <laughs> yeah, I will say, I mean, it's not like we're, we're dishonest on this podcast. It's just that um, there's like unpopular concepts that without being staged and positioned the right way, you can't make a case for. And that just requires more length of programming, which isn't, isn't necessarily important before the audience is at a certain size.
2: Yeah, 100%. So, 100%. Until then, let's yeah. stay moving. Always remember to be you. You is fly. Pilot
0: Boys out.